What's up, guys? Welcome to Black Flag Productions. We are your hosts, Anthony and Aaron. It's been a minute since we've been on here, but you know, life's busy and we had some things going on. Today, we have a great episode in store for you. We've been looking forward to this topic for a long time. We're going to tell you all of the scientific proofs and evidence of God. All the things that have been discovered throughout history, most of it has been hidden, but all the things that have been discovered or all the proofs that show the existence of God and prove the Bible. Yeah, so we're actually going to break this topic up into multiple episodes just so that we can uh, maintain our viewership. <clears throat> and also, we didn't want to cram all of these things and try to fit it in one episode. There's so much information and there's so many good points and things that we just can't skip over that we're just going to break it up in multiple episodes. One of the first things I wanted to talk about in proving God's existence is the continuum of time, space, and matter. Time, space, and matter are called a continuum because they cannot exist independent of each other. All three of those things have to come into existence at the same time. And since they have to come into existence at the same time, something has to have been outside of those three in order to have created them. There was a minister by the name of Kent Hovind, and in a debate, he was asked, where did God come from and how can a spiritual force have an impact on a material universe to create it? We're actually going to play that clip for you right now. All right, your question, where did God come from, assumes that you're thinking of the wrong, uh, obviously it displays that you're thinking of the wrong God, <laughs> because the God of the Bible d is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he's, if he's affected by time, space, or matter, he's not God. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant, because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in 10 words. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. So you have time, space, matter created, a trinity of trinities there. Just, you know, time is past, present, future. Space has length, width, height. Matter has solid, liquid, gas. You have a trinity of trinities created instantaneously, and the God who created them has to be outside of them. If he's limited by time, he's not God. The guy who created this computer is not in the computer. He's not running around in there changing the numbers on the screen, okay? The God who created this universe is outside of the universe. He's above it, beyond it, in it, through it. He's, he's unaffected by it. So for... And the, the concept that a, a spiritual uh, force cannot have any effect on a material body, well then I guess you'd have to explain to me things like emotions and love and hatred and envy and jealousy and, and rationality. I mean, if your brain is just a random collection of chemicals that form by chance over billions of years, how on earth can you trust your own reasoning processes and the thoughts that you, you think? Your question, where did God come from, is assuming a limited God. And that's your problem. The God that I worship is not limited by time, space, or matter. If I could fit the infinite God in my three-pound brain, he would not be worth worshiping. That's for certain. So that's the God that I worship. Thank you. Yeah, that was awesome. I've actually seen that uh, before several times just because you have to, he, he's a fast talker, so you have to listen to it a few times in order to really pick up everything that he's saying, and it goes several layers deep. But he's absolutely right. I mean, the gist of it is if we could understand, comprehend, and process what or who God is, then he wouldn't be worth worshiping because we're the created and he's the creator. 
And so I love that clip of Kent. I mean, it's it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And if you watch that in its entirety, which I know that we we sort of live in this environment now of of snippets, but I did find it on YouTube in its entirety. And the whole thing is pretty much just a repeat of that, because these three, you know, so-called falsely so-called intellectuals continue coming at him with what they they feel are going to be really tricky gotcha type moments and questions and he just completely topples them one after the other so uh if we can find that we're going to put it in the comment section below it's definitely worth a watch but uh kent hoven's ministry is really worth checking out like any person in general or any theologian pastor minister whatever the case is he's off on a couple things but I actually have some of his materials. I've supported uh, his ministry. And it's almost like his own version of the Creation Museum um, in Ohio slash Kentucky. He does the same thing with that uh, down on his property. So I think it's worth checking out. But that was pretty amazing, man, to do that. Yeah. And so it really just comes through that lens of opposing worldviews. And all that simply means is what's your starting point? What's your presupposition? Because we all have a presupposition that we start from. And of course, that can lead you to biased conclusions because you're, you're slanted in that direction. But the really cool part about that with what you're sharing and is that it can't be disproven. It, it is interesting that the majority of proof and evidence, and I'm talking about like real, physical, forensic, demonstrable evidence that you can touch you can measure it you can weigh it you can point a laser at it that type of hard evidence right is really on the creationist side it's on our side noah's ark for example is 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 really something cool that we should take a minute to talk about as well didn't you have some information on that yeah i didn't know this and you'd think a discovery like this would be like huh. plastered everywhere we're talking one of the greatest discoveries of the history of mankind this is amazing in 1959 Noah's Ark was actually discovered, like the Ark. In 1959, a Turkish army captain was reviewing reconnaissance photos to see if there were enemy missile sites in the area. And he noticed a boat-shaped outline that was completely unnatural embedded in the ground. The boat-shaped figure that was embedded in the ground was seen in the Ararat Mountains. So they saw this figure in the Ararat Mountains. And in Genesis chapter 8, verse 4, it says this, And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventh day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Not long after those photos were discovered, it made the news. And in 1960, a research team from the United States went to the site. And by 1987, Turkey officially recognized the site as the discovery of Noah's Ark. Yeah, that's so cool, man. They have they have a setup and it's it's been designated and everything like that, but you just don't hear about it. Right. And we're going to get into the specifics here in a minute. They concluded that the boat had landed way up the mountainside and it basically slid down in the mud and there was a rock outcrop that stuck out as it was flowing down and it slammed into the side of this rock outcrop and it stopped it from flowing down the mountain. So it's impaled in the side of the boat, but the boat is just sitting there right on the rock outcrop. We have some amazing bullet points here to share about this because right. this, one, this one subject alone is something that really consumed a lot of my life and research and just curiosity for a few years. And I really started to follow the work of Ron Wyatt, who was, he wasn't the discoverer of Noah's Ark, but he actually went there. He did a lot of the analysis of it. He took the measurements of it. And that discovery led to several others, which I don't know if we're going to get into in this episode, but um, he's since passed away. His wife actually continued a lot of his work, but Ron Wyatt was absolutely a pioneer. He was like a right. Christian Indiana Jones. 
Yeah, a lot of these proofs and discoveries that we'll be talking about are a majority of them are from Ron Wyatt, which is insane that all these major Bible proving evidences were all discovered by one person. Yeah, and the outline, the skeleton, the visible skeleton from overhead of the ark actually matched the cubit dimensions described in scripture. Right. So you start to look at things and you're like, okay, it's not a coincidence. Now a pattern's developing. And then at some point in time, it becomes a certainty because the geography is correct, the size is correct and then uh, i'm sure that you have some more information on this right. as well but even a lot of the surrounding area has some of the artifacts from the ark so i don't i don't want to take those reveals away from you but this is just so exciting man so yeah go through that yeah right before i get into that i want to mention something really amazing that i didn't include in the notes so right when these photos were discovered and it was all over the news, the, when the research team initially went out there, it was like almost completely buried by mud. And the Turkish government had really strict, basically governance of the site. They wouldn't allow excavation of the site. So basically this research team was like just there looking at the top part of this boat shape. And really you couldn't really get too many measurings or you couldn't really research it in depth. And I was reading on the Ron Wyatt website where it has all this information apparently Ron Wyatt was praying that he would either be able to get the excavation rights or something were to happen to where it would reveal the ark. He said like years later, there was an earthquake in the Ararat Mountains and it was so violent that it actually dropped the sides of the mud along the boat. And when the research team went back there after the earthquake, it like exposed the entire boat. Yeah, it got around all the Turkish red tape, basically yep. an answer to prayer, God revealing the truth of scripture to us. And I know Ron and his team, they made more than one trip out there but they even took some deep ground penetrating sonar equipment out there yep and man it's it's so amazing but they actually found that the composite of the alloys that were used in in this timber ship structure right that the bible talks about that but it also had some some rivets and some connectors that were alloy and up until then you know as quote unquote scientists always are they were wrong they didn't know that we actually had the ability to work with metal in that capacity but it actually was the strongest metal at that point in time and right. even after this many thousands of years it never corroded or rusted away man so I mean, it, we're literally just scratching the surface of this one proof of the inerrancy or, or really just the truth of scripture. Yeah. And those metals that you're talking about, they found three and a half inch metal rivets. They lab tested these rivets. Lab tests showed that they were made of aluminum, titanium, iron, and magnesium. And aluminum and titanium, in order to get them in a rivet form, they have to be man-made. You can't just pound them out. You have to melt them down and do certain processes to get them in a rivet shape, thus proving that a human had to have created them. There was multiple samples all over the Ararat Mountain site that were collected and lab testing for all of them showed that they had the exact same percentages of metal in each of the alloys. This basically concludes that the, all the metal for the entire arc was made by one blacksmith. And it was it was so precise too, because think about if you were to get blueprints from God himself right. and, and you spent this much time crafting a boat with forewarning from God that he was going to destroy the earth by water, you would probably put a lot of craftsmanship and focus on making sure that there were no water leaks. And I think that a lot of that is the reason, not, not just the sheer size of the ark, and the Bible gives us all those dimensions, but the fact that it was able to withstand mudslides, erosion, uh, all of the environmental elements that it had to put up with, to actually still be that intact, it right. really just shows how well it was made. And it really was just a perfect circumstance too, because when it was going down that mountain in that mudslide, they concluded the mud went over top of the ark because there's so much mud and it basically encapsulated the boat and through the mineral
internal replacement process, it basically preserved the entire boat. Yeah, almost like but, God wanted to, to be found. Right, it was like petrified wood is basically what it was. So you have to talk about the dreg stones, basically the, the counterbalance or the counterweights. Um, we would think of them like anchors that would hang over the side of the boat because one of the questions that someone who just doesn't really understand the point of the ark, which was to preserve life, they, they think, well, where was Noah going? Well, he wasn't going anywhere. He was surviving. And so the best way to do that, especially with what you talked about just a moment ago, with the violence of the earth basically being completely reshaped with the waters from above, the waters from below coming up from the great deep, you're going to rock back and forth. And so didn't they find some massive, uh, what, what I've heard called dreg stones or like counterbalances in that area as well? Right. So all along the Ararat Mountains, right along the path that the boat would have slid down the mountain, they actually found 13 different anchors to the boat and they were all engraved with the same engraving it was a they had like cross engravings on them so yeah there was anchors found all over the place in the era mountains obviously it needs a lot of giant anchors because it's such a big boat but i wanted to kind of touch on the measurements of the boat because this is really where it confirmed that it was noah's ark and not just any old boat so the boat was measured to be 156 0.97 meters exactly, which exactly equates to 300 Egyptian royal cubits. The boat was 26.2 meters wide, which equates to 50 royal cubits. In addition, the vertical internal deck space comes to exactly 15.7 meters, which is 30 cubits exactly. And Genesis 6.15, it says this, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make it of. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. So we have a boat preserved in mud in the exact location that the Bible says with the exact measurements that the Bible says to make it out of. I'm just astonished that I haven't heard about this prior to my research in this whole topic. You never had? I've never heard of it. Was your mind blown? Did you watch any of the videos? I was absolutely mind blown. Like, how could a discovery like this not be plastered in every single, you know what I mean? Like, how did a pastor never mention this all the years I've been going to church? Or how did how did it not be mentioned to me? This is so amazing to hear you say that. It's the first time I'm hearing it too. I mean, right now while we're recording this, but this this really had me excited and just geeking out for probably two months. And so I, I really started to dig into it. I can't explain how much this verified. It wasn't as though this led me to faith or this was... This was that final straw I needed to say, okay, God, you know, I believe it, it wasn't like that, but it, it is just so amazing to continue layering on so much proof because God doesn't want to hide himself from us. He's not willing that any should perish, but he wants to reveal himself to us. And when I found out about this, and I'm sure a lot of the other topics that we're going to get into, because you put a lot of, of work into the, the episodes research, I was the same way, man. I was just like, why on earth have I not... I've, you know, I've been a churched person since I was literally in the nursery at, at one of our churches since I was born. And I had never heard a sermon, let alone a series right. on the discovery. Because think of how important it is to basically create an ark, put every life form on there. Well, that like the Bible says that has the, the breath of life in its nostrils. So certain things like insects and of course, fish and whales and, and those types of uh, animals did not need to be brought on the ark. They have plenty of water outside of the ark. But the fact of the, the truth of it was so amazing. Amazing because I think pop culture and even children's books, they try to say the ark. You you even see toys sometimes at the store. They try to say the ark was like this overcrowded fisherman's boat where the giraffe's heads are like sticking out of the top. <laughs> and you're like, I don't understand. How could that survive a catastrophe that covered the earth? So yeah, 
It's cool to hear you say that, man. Uh, I'm so glad that you found that just during the show prep. Right. It's just like, like if there was any shadow of a doubt in somebody's mind or my mind, or maybe somebody who doesn't even believe is watching this, like physical exact accounts of things that happened in the Bible thousands of years ago, and they're being discovered exactly how the Bible says. And if you examine the ark site, you can see on the outside of the boat formation, you can see petrified rib timbers, which rib timbers was a common method by shipbuilding in that time period. These timbers are at right angles to the natural downhill flow of water around the formation, which indicates that they were not formed by erosion, indicating that they were man-made. They did a core drill on the starboard side to intersect a chamber in the arc. It was approximately five feet deep and five inches in diameter. And in this core drill, they found an antler and also animal dung. They were both petrified. They also found cat hair and human hair. A three-layer deck timber was unearthed at the recognition ceremony for the ARC site in 1987. They lab tested it and showed the high concentrations of organic carbon consistent with petrified wood. If you stand on the center deck, you can view the interior horizontal deck support beams that protrude from the outer part of the ARC. And these are in systematic pattern consistent with man-made constructions. Have you ever been to the ARC? I've never been to the the arc site in uh, sure. Kentucky. Yeah, that I mean, it's it's not too far. But that point that you just brought up was reminded me of standing in the arc, and it was pretty much made true to form. And you really can see the entire ship from the inside like that. You really don't understand the massiveness of this thing. I, I honestly still it's it's been up for a few years now. It's it's nothing brand new, but I still can't believe it got made. I mean, right. you stand in this thing, and you're like, I would expect something like this at uh, Disney or universal studios or you know one of those other pagan worship type studios but the, <laughs> the fact that this is like a, a christian attraction was just mind-blowing so just a quick plug right there um we've actually been it's absolutely worth a trip but it gives life to a lot of these dimensions you just can't wrap your head around obviously we don't measure things in cubits anymore we don't do things like that but this boat is just fantastic man so anyone that that lives anywhere near there you got to take a trip it's absolutely worth it and speaking of deck timbers it was discovered that this ship formation in the Ararat Mountains had three decks. And in Genesis chapter 6, verse 16, it says this. It says, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. So there, right in Genesis chapter 6, God commands Noah to build the boat with three deck layers and this boat that was found in the Ararat Mountains, just like the Bible says, and it was the exact measurements that the Bible says, now has three decks like the Bible says. Another really big point I wanted to make about this that pretty much completely disproves evolution is this. The remains of the ark sit at an elevation of 2,000 meters above sea level. Fossils of coral, shellfish, and marine species cover the entirety of the Ararat Mountains and all around the Noah's Ark. And it's not just in the Ararat Mountains at those types of elevations, but all over the world, you can find marine species and fossils at really high elevations. They found mussels uh, at the top layers of Mount Everest. Right. So this testifies to their burial by water. Um, conventional geological maps of eastern Turkey and geological reports state that the sedimentary rocks and fossils found in the Ararat Mountains date from the Eocone Age. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Which according to science is 56 million years ago. These same geological records also state that following the 
deposition of the sedimentary rocks and fossils, the sea level is believed to have continued to diminish in this area until the early Miocene age, 23 million years ago. Give or take. <laughs> By which time, any last trace of water had finally vanished. Since that time, this area has never been submerged by water again. That is according to what science says. <laughs> but evolutionists, they claim that the Earth is billions of years old and that the early Miocene period, when the last trace of water which had covered the Ararat Mountains had finally vanished, was supposedly in the order of 20 to 24 million years ago. How can this be true if Noah's Ark and all these artifacts were found at the top of the Ararat Mountains in the same place that you can find all these marine species and all these fossils? It would be a physical impossibility for a ship the size of the Ark to drift into the Ararat Mountains and run aground 2,000 meters above the present elevation of sea level without water being present. Yet the Ark is not millions of years old the fossils and sediment on top of which the ark came to rest had to have had been deposited by the same water which carried the ark to that area the only conclusion that can be made then is this that the biblical account of the creation of the earth by god and its inundation be a massive worldwide sized flood as described in the bible to be correct. So this is yet another proof that is pretty much shunned by today's science and the mainstream narrative of science today that blatantly disproves the theory that the earth is millions of years old. Yeah, man, it's not just shunned. But what happens is if you even try to ask honest questions about it, not even go through a whole investigation. But if you ask questions about the so called official narrative, and you don't get grant money, you get taken out of scientific journals. It's it's worse than that. And science is supposed to to be all about open exploration and asking questions and following a rigid method in order to arrive at a conclusion that can be reasonable and defended. And that's not what happens in today's science. You know, for our listeners out there, when you think of the word science, just make that capital S a dollar sign, or as I call it, lions, <laughs> and you'll really understand the totality of what's going on today. Like anything else, it's you got to trace the money. It's all controlled by the, the money. Right. So that was an awesome summary of Noah's Ark. And really, that's, that's what it was. It was a summary. And by no means, is, is this episode or anything we do meant to be exhaustive because it's not we really want to give you guys the information but then also the tools to do a lot of independent research on your own that subject is definitely worth it trust me your mind will be blown uh, so I, I love talking about that man but something else that we want to get to talking about destruction and mayhem is Sodom and Gomorrah pretty much the exact opposite of Noah's Ark when you think about it because that's when God destroyed reshaped the earth by water water, Sodom and Gomorrah, in my mind, is really just a precursor to what's coming eventually with that final vengeance that God lays waste to the earth when he actually does it by fire. So when you think of it, Sodom and Gomorrah is like a microcosm of God's wrath and vengeance on mankind for all of their abominations and wicked sin. So Sodom and Gomorrah, more so than just a biblical account, is really something that we can look at as yet another proof of God, of scripture, and just the veracity or the truth of what we read in God. God's word. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So actually this was, this discovery was very recently of Sodom and Gomorrah. Researchers from the University of California in Santa Barbara released a statement on September 20th of 2021 reporting that they had discovered a five foot deep layer of ash that suggested that the city had been destroyed by extreme heat. Um, there was hundreds of researchers who was who are excavating an ancient Middle Eastern city. It's now called Tal El Hammam, which is where the discovery of Sodom and Gomorrah was made. The interest in the city's history started about 15 years ago when it was covered in about five feet of charcoal and melted materials. 
Archaeologists working on the Tal El Hammam site in South Jordan state that they may have found the location of Sodom or Gomorrah. This includes findings of shards of pottery where the outer layer had been turned into glass, bubbled mud bricks, and examples of building materials being melted. And this can only happen under extreme heat. This was also something, I know this was a very recent discovery and, and it just lends itself to legitimacy of this finding that, uh, you know, the, the university also said, hey, we found it. But Ron Wyatt, who we had mentioned earlier, also did a lot of research, uh, field research on site at Sodom and Gomorrah. And he found a lot of the basically sulfur stones that would have come down by the biblical account on fire. And the fact that those burn so hot, white hot, that they can actually melt and evaporate human flesh. Right. So yeah, God was mad about something. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And speaking of them finding those sulfur balls embedded in the ground, also known as brimstone. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 24, it says this. It says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. So these researchers finding brimstone embedded in the dirt. And here we have, again, thousands and thousands of years prior to this discovery, the Bible saying the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah fire and brimstone. In addition, researchers found small traces of melted metals on pottery, including iridium, which has a melting point of 4,435 degrees Fahrenheit. So it got at least that hot. Man. <laughs> and in that time period that the city was around, obviously there was no man-made means to make an entire city 4,435 degrees Fahrenheit. Nor, to my knowledge, was there abilities to get iridium. We, st we still don't have that technology. Just something that's really curious about this, if you're on the outside looking in, if you're already a Christian, I mean, you just believe God's word, but it's cool to have evidence to point at. It, something that's really awesome is that it's very unique to this region. It's not like, well, it might be Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities roundabout the Bible talks about, but there's 14 other locations that also, I mean, you can't compare this set of circumstances to any other place on earth. And right. P.S., it just so happens to line up perfectly with God's word. Isn't that odd? Right. You know, the theory could come up like, oh, it got covered by volcanic ash. Where's magma. the volcano? <laughs> well, there's no volcanoes in the immediate area. Yeah. So that's not even a possibility. So we have an entire city covered in five feet of ash. We have traces of iridium, and it's all in the exact location that the Bible says. The researchers found human bones that had been completely obliterated by what they believe was some type of blast. They found human skulls that had an orange tinge on them, which suggests that it must have come from intense temperatures. They also found cracked quartz particles around the entire area. And quartz is considered one of the hardest minerals known to man and only cracks under extreme heat and pressure. In addition, they found diamond particles in the sand, which take immense heat and pressure to make. So we're talking an unimaginable amount of heat and pressure over an entire city. The archaeologists also noted that the city's palace, buildings, and walls have been completely flattened. Biblical archaeologists located city gates, crushed graves, towers, a temple, and they located the city's water supply, and they also located thick walls around the entire city. They were cre Basically, they were cremated alive. Right, an entire city basically cremated alive.
So we spent a lot of time talking about the fallout, the repercussions, basically what happened trying to color inside those lines of Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the things that really stands out to me is just the fact of these people being obliterated. We always think of the city, the gates, the buildings, the structures crumbling down and being burnt. But what happened to the bodies was just as severe. Um, at that type of over 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit, at that type of heat, not only does the flesh disintegrate, but also do the bones. And so what you're left with is truly just a pile of ash. And that really leads me to thinking about another amazing proof of God is the composition of our human body. Where it comes from, like God talks about in Genesis, we basically come from the dirt, from the dust, and that's what we return to thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah. But between that start and finish sort of scenario, talk a little bit about body composition, you know, DNA, how we're made and how that just speaks to proof of God. Yeah, so this is going to be like the last point we hit for this episode. So one of the greatest areas to look at as far as proving the existence of God is our own bodies. If you look at the human body at the cellular level and even beyond the cellular level, you'll see that the human body is comprised of over 100 different minerals. Like we are basically walking minerals. And in Genesis, God says that he formed man from the dust of the ground. Genesis chapter two, verse seven says this, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So if you analyze the composition of the dust of the ground, you will find that it has every single mineral that the human body is composed of, only pointing to the fact that since our body is made out of every mineral of the dust of the ground, and God says, yet again, that he created us from the dust of the ground, then it must be evidence to point to the fact that we were created by God in the image of God. And to hit on the uh, evolutionist argument to that, there has never been an experiment ever in history to show that you can take an inanimate object or mineral or something like that and make it animate and alive. So the fact that we are comprised of the same minerals and nutrients that you can find in the dust of the ground that are inanimate and unliving, but yet we are living and animate. And there's no experiment in history to show that you can take an inanimate object and make it animate and living. Then there must be something outside of that body, God, that would have had to have created it. Just like we started. Just like we started with the continuum of time, space, and matter. Basically, evolutionists are like, well, of course, all the minerals are in our body. We came from the dirt. We evolved from monkeys. But the fact is that you can put all of these ingredients into a test tube. You can electrify it. You can put heat over it you can give it protein yeah. and it'll never self-replicate or form into a living life form that's those are really cool documentaries too i've watched those yeah so you have the human body made of minerals inanimate things and it's living so something just like the world had to have been outside of it to create it and if you look at the world according to science today there's all of these millions of things that have to work in perfect coherence with each other in order for existence to happen. And basically what I'm trying to get here is that if we live in a world where all these millions of things work in coherence to each other to the point that if one of them were off, that existence would be difficult or not possible at all. Like perfection cannot happen from randomness. And the only explanation for perfection in the sense that all these things work perfectly together is God. Something outside of them had to have created the existence of the world. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, abiogenesis or spontaneous creation basically bringing life from non-life is absolutely impossible. It's irrefutably impossible. That's not up for discussion. You know, it's not like, let's let's have a dialogue about that. So there has to be a point in time to where human beings, you and I, came to be because our great, 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 great grandfather certainly wasn't a rock and it certainly wasn't a monkey or anything else in the so-called tree of life. It's us. We were a special creation. That's why God waited till the sixth day to make us and then he rested. And we're made in his image, by the way. So we're not just uh, an accident like you said. 
said. We didn't come from chaos, but we actually came from order. So this was a great episode. I love not only hearing these things, but also just revisiting them because right. it just solidifies everything in my life. I'm sure in your life spiritually that we worship a God that can be understood just enough to know that he is God and everything else. I'm certain, at least in my own mind, I'm very convinced that he's waiting until we spend eternity with him in heaven to explain the rest to us and fill in those gaps so that we have something to just fellowship with him on. But I just want to say thank you so much, Anthony, for putting all of this together. I know it's taken a lot of research. And for everyone listening, do not forget, we have a part two of this. This you absolutely want to tune back in. It's the first time that we've done a two-part episode. The reason being, there is so much evidence out there for God. So before we close up and ask you to visit with us next time, if you have not found God, you can take an intellectual approach to him. We can show you all of the evidence, all of the proof, but you have to come to him on your own terms spiritually, and you have to rely on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If you have any questions about that, if you're curious about it, or if you just want to get it settled once and for all, where you're going to spend all of eternity, it's very important. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. So please reach out to one of us in the comments, uh, visit our website, or just email us, but please get in touch and don't leave it to chance. So again, thanks a lot, Anthony. Thank you for watching. Join us next time. Hit that like button, leave a comment below, and we'll see you. Thank you.